Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm uh, Tim. I'm the pastor here, and uh, so glad that you are here today. If you are new with us, uh, as Molly said, a special welcome to you. Lots of ways to get involved, uh, lots of ways to get plugged in. I know uh, that that can be overwhelming, though, and so we kind of provide one place, one avenue to learn about all of that and learn about who we are as a church, and that's called Starting Point, and that's today right after the service. Uh, we'll actually meet down here and set up tables and sort of have a conversation, very informal. We'll provide lunch for you, so we invite you, if you've been around for a while, but you say, I'm not really connected, I don't know uh, anyone here, I don't know how to get involved here, this is for you, and we invite you to stay. If you're brand new, first Sunday, uh, we invite you to stay as well, and we'll have lunch, we'll keep it to an hour, and let you know what we're all about and how you can be involved in that. And so if you've registered for that, fantastic, we love that you register for things, amen. Uh, but even if you didn't register, we'd still love for you to just stay 10 to 15 minutes after church. We'll gather up down here and uh, get started, so stay for that. Uh, one of the things you'll hear about at Starting Point is community groups. Uh, community groups is really where we work out everything we talk about here today. Uh, what does it look like to apply this in our life, and uh, how does it look uh, to connect with other people in the midst of that? And that happens in community groups, and we're launching uh, two of those community groups uh, this week. So I want to invite those leaders up so they can tell you about their groups, the Saunders and the Reynolds. If you guys would come up, give them a clap as they do that. So we have several community groups across the valley and uh, these guys are uh, relaunching theirs sort of in different ways. And so I want you to hear from them. And maybe if you're not in a community group, uh, this one or this one uh, would be a great one to join. Maybe you think about when you envision, we say community group, we say home, talking about the Bible, connecting with others. And you envision everybody knowing each other and inside jokes. And they've known each other their whole life. Well, guess what? These groups are new. And that's not the case. So you can join one of theirs. You can join the other ones, too. They are nice, and they don't have inside jokes. So, um, so Graham and Savannah, uh, why don't you guys go first? Tell us some details, where you guys meet, uh, what time, what a specific night might look like, sure. and then one thing you're excited about for your yeah. group. Um, so our group is going to be at uh, Teray's uh, house. You may know him uh, from the church. Um, it's about at Indian School and 26th Street-ish. Um, and we're going to meet Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Um, a typical night kind of varies a lot, but a lot of times we get there at about 7. Uh, we'll spend a few minutes just kind of talking, hanging out, getting to know one another, um, seeing how our weeks are going. And then uh, we normally go through um, the sermon, kind of discuss it, like what it means to us, uh, you know, what parts of it are um, affecting our lives or challenging to us, um, how we can live out different pieces of it. Uh, we discuss that together, and then uh, we um, generally share kind of uh, things that are going on in our lives and just leave some opportunity to uh, pray for one another, um, to just be real and, and to share life with one another. Um, and uh, one thing we're excited about is just getting to know some new people. Um, we have been in a community group for uh, about four years. Um, we've gotten to know some, some people really well. Uh, but I'm really excited to just get to know some new people um, and to see what God does with the group. So, do you have anything? You wanna... No. No? Yeah. All right, I'll let you guys go. I'm going to stay over on this side, Tim, because uh, we dress the same. Hopefully people oh, realize that. I like no? that. I, like, right? I was thinking right. I like the way you look today, John. <laughs> it, um, our nights are pretty informal. We start at 6, we start with dinner, 
And so we'll just have time to commu uh, for community and we'll just be talking about our weeks and what's going on, what we can be praying for each other, what our praises are. Um, in regards to the setting, it's pretty informal as well. We'll sit down at the couch or sit somewhere. We can throw the kids somewhere else and uh, just talk about the sermon, talk about how what it meant to us, what God has been uh, showing us through this. And, yeah, it's been pretty exciting so far. We're meeting on Tuesday nights um, at 6 o'clock, so we're a little bit earlier so we can get dinner. And then we have kids, so we like to get them to bed a little early. But if you have kids, please come and bring them. Um, so we'll have things for them to do as well. Um, but we are also just excited to meet some new people, too. Um, we've really grown a lot in community, and we've been a part of two other groups here at PBC, and it's just been amazing. So we're really excited to share what we've been learning um, and just fellowship and get to know some different faces. So Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for leading and leading sacrificially, stepping out in this. There's a lot of people that you guys have connected with and grown from. Savannah, you mentioned that. Um, Leanne, you just mentioned that. And a lot of these people haven't experienced that yet. And so thank you for providing what you have experienced. That's a big deal. Uh, I want to pray for you along those lines. I know you have kids. You have a kid on the way in a couple weeks, right? Uh, so life uh, continues, but these guys want to love and serve and connect with you. And so I want to pray for them as they do that. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for these couples. God, I thank you that there are men and women in this church who uh, didn't go to seminary, weren't uh, professionally trained, but they love you. And you love them, and they want to study your word that talks about that, and that talks about how that, that works itself out in community. There is insanity and isolation. And anytime we think we can do things on our own and just get through this on our own, we fall flat. But God, when we get around other people in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of your truth, in the midst of your love, in the midst of other people's doubt, God, we, we grow. That's when we gather here today, but that's, that's not enough. One hour a week is not enough. And so we need others during the week, and that's what this is for. And so, God, I thank you for these couples leading out in that. Uh, God, I pray that you would bless their families personally just for this sacrifice that they make, for this stepping out that they are taking. God, I pray that you would bless the people in their groups and the people that show up and, and all the hesitations and all the excuses, really, that we might have of, uh, of not coming to one of these groups or one of the other groups or experiencing community God, I pray that today, as we talk about Jesus being the only way, um, God, I pray that you, Jesus, would impact our hearts, penetrate our lives, and help us to know that uh, we need you, but we need others, and that we would find a way to make community happen, because it is a, a blessing. Uh, it's the way you've designed us. And so, God, I pray for these groups, pray for our fall semester, as lots of groups are ramping up and, and ministries happening, that you would just move in a mighty way in and through and around us for your glory and our joy. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you guys thank these guys again? Uh, you heard their details. You saw them on the screen. But if you, if you missed that or didn't write it down, there's a cork board right in the lobby uh, that has all of their information as well as every other group that meets. You can pull a card and uh, just take that, send them, send them an email, let them know you're coming. It has the address and all the information on there. If, uh, if you'd like to, these guys will be back at that board after the service, and you can just talk to them personally. Uh, ask them about their group, ask them about the dinner, how that works, all that kind of stuff. And so they'll be available to do that after service. I'll be back there as well. Uh, we are in part two of a series today called Why. And uh, we're asking this question why about the difficult questions, the difficult things, rather, of our faith, about life. And even if you're here and you'd say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I believe the Bible, there have been times where you've had questions of, well, why does it work this way? Why doesn't it work this way? Maybe 
uh, if you're a Christian and you would say that. You've had other people, family members, friends, who ask you why, and you don't know the answer. And so we're taking this series to say, here's some answers. Here's how we can think uh, thoughtfully about this. Here's how we can defend our faith, but also have the courage and conviction to, to worship God in the midst of even, even doubt that we might have, that it's okay to ask why. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, maybe the reason you're not a Christian is because of some of these why questions, and we want to help show you how Jesus is not only the right way to live, but the better way to live, that he is both, he is true, he is the way, he is the life, as we just read. And so we're going through this series. Last week we asked probably the most difficult why question, which is, why do bad things happen? And so if you missed that, you can listen on the podcast or on the website. I know some of you talked about, hey, I'm going to send this to somebody else because they really struggle with this. So if you missed that, uh, you can listen to that. Today, we're asking the question, why is Jesus the only way? Why is Jesus the only way? This is a question uh, that maybe you have wrestled with, again, as a believer in Christ. Uh, This is a question that's often debated in our culture. In fact, in 2006, there was a movie, uh, a theological, very... um, thoughtful example of this question. The movie was called Talladega Nights. If you haven't seen the movie, let me explain. Ricky Bobby, race car driver, Will Will Ferrell, if you missed that, um, he crashes his car, he's a little delusional, and he goes around running and he asks, Jesus, help me. Allah, help me. Tom Cruise, help me. And he just starts calling, Jewish God, help me. He starts calling out to every version of God he knows of for help, right? And what that movie illustrates is a lot of things um, about our culture. But one thing it illustrates is that this is something we often debate, that that many of us in Christianity uh, and other religions, that we would say we're we're spiritual, right? but the way we're spiritual varies, right? So if somebody else says, well, they, no, I'm not atheist. Like, I, I, I'm spiritual. I believe there's a higher force. I believe there's a, a spiritual power above. And, and, and if there's lots of ways, hey, like Will Ferrell did, hey, why don't I try to get all, all of them together? And, and lots of people in our culture today will believe in a higher power, will believe there's a spiritual force. That's not really controversial. What's controversial is to say I believe in one. That there's exclusivity in our faith. Pew Research uh, did a study this year, so this is fresh. It said nine out of ten Americans believe in a higher power or a spiritual force. But as they broke that down in a pie chart, you saw all these different ways that works itself out for them. That some people would ascribe to a specific religion, a traditional religion, formal religion. And some people would say, no, I just, I'm spiritual. I'm actually not religious, and it works itself out this way. But 9 out of 10 Americans would all say there's something out there. Where it gets controversial is when we say there's one. Well, spoiler alert, we as Christians who believe the Bible, we believe there's one God, and there's one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. The question we want to ask is, why? Why? Why do we believe that that is the way it is. So we're going to look at that briefly together. We're going to look at three points if you take notes. The first point is this, that we believe Jesus Christ has unrivaled worth. Uh, We just read out of the Gospel of John, and in that Gospel, if you read the Gospel of John, which is a great read, even if you're new to the faith, there are several I am statements in the Gospel of John. 
Jesus will make declarations about who he is and his character and his nature, his person and work. He'll say, I am this, I am that. And in John 14, 6, we come to the sixth declaration, the sixth I am statement in the Gospel of John. And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's interesting, Jesus makes this statement, uh, many of us have probably heard this statement, but it's in the context of a question. You see, in John 14, Jesus is talking about going to prepare a place for his disciples, for his followers. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about eternity. And as he talks about this place that he's going to prepare, Thomas, one of his disciples in John chapter 14, says, Jesus, how do we get to this place? Like, where are we all going to meet up? I need some direction, some GPS. And many of us would ask the same thing, and many of us do in our culture. Okay, if there's a heaven, if there's an eternity, where's the path? How do I navigate to get there? That's why you see so many six points to do this, seven points to do this, how to become a better person, because we're all trying to figure out how to navigate the path to get to the place of eternity, of being in good standing with God. Jesus' response to that is interesting. He says that the, the place, not as important as the person. The path, not as important as the person. That if you figure out the person, if you figure out the way being a person, Jesus Christ, then the, the place, the path will take care of itself. So he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, how could Jesus say that, right? I, I'm, I'm a preacher, proclaimer of God's word, and if I stood before you and said, hey, heaven is real, you are eternal, and you got to figure that out, and let me show you the way. In fact, actually, I am the way. Like, I don't need to just give you some points. I am the point. Now, a lot of you would hopefully get up and walk out of here, and you should, right? Because you think, that guy's crazy. He thinks he's the way to God. He's not just revealing a way to God. And so even just try to imagine Thomas. Try to imagine the disciples. Oh, you are the way? How? How, How can you say that? That everyone before them, prophets, preachers, religious people, would have said, hey, there's a way to heaven. There's a way to God. And let me show you the way. Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the way to God, and as you follow me, you will see the way. Right? How can Jesus say that? We're going to look at that. There's, there's three passages I want to show you. If you have a Bible, it's a great time to grab one. If you don't have one, you can go to the back table, pull one up on your phone. I want to show you three passages. Uh, this will help you in your faith, but also as you talk to other people and you think, how do I know Jesus is God? How do I know he's the only way? You're like, where would I take somebody in Scripture? Here's three places. So find it with me. Let's look briefly there together. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and John 1. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and John 1. I called these the ones on the screen because these are all chapter ones of books of the Bible that show us the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. Colossians 1, let's look at that one, the first one. Uh, go to verse 16. You'll see this phrase that all things were created by him, that's Jesus, and, and for him. So Colossians 1, the first one of the ones, says this. 
that Jesus is creator God. That Jesus was born as a baby, but that wasn't his beginning. He existed from all time, from eternity. In fact, he was creating the universe. And we see that account in Genesis. Jesus was there. He doesn't have his beginning in the New Testament as a baby. That's not his beginning. Jesus is from all time. Jesus is creator God. All things are created by him and for him. He's Lord over the universe. So Jesus is creator God. Hebrews 1, if you have a real Bible, flip over to that. Look it up on your app. Hebrews 1, verse 3, tells us Jesus is the glory of God. Verse 3 says, he is the radiance, the brightness, the, the beam coming off the sun, the rays coming off the sun. We've never seen the glory of God, but we've seen Jesus, and we see his life, and if we've seen Jesus, it's like the sun is the Father, and the rays, the beam is the sun, and it shows us what the sun is like. It shows us what the glory of God is like. Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the radiance, the brightness, the beams of the glory of God, showing us, revealing to us the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3 says he's the exact imprint of God's nature. That means if we want to see what God is like, if we want to know what God the Father is like, we look at the life of Jesus. As we see Jesus love, as we see Jesus speak truth, as we see Jesus serve, that shows us the glory of God, this massive, this weighty, this brilliant glory of God. Jesus makes that real. Jesus is creator God. Jesus is the glory of God. The last one, John 1. John 1, one of the gospels that we were just in. Jesus is God made flesh. Look at verse 14, John 1, verse 14. It says the word, that word in the original language is logos, which means the word of God. Um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now to us, maybe, and you've read John 1, it says the word, the word, the word. And honestly, it would have been easier if he said God made flesh, God. The reason they said word is because this is an ancient text written in a different culture. Jewish culture, Greek culture, as they said, the word of God, the logos, they would have known that is God. That's how they talked about God, that, that God expresses himself by his word. We see also back in Hebrews that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's power in this, this word of God. This word is God becoming flesh, that Jesus is creator God. He's the glory of God, and he's God made flesh. This is what is expressed by Jesus in John chapter 14. Uh, he doesn't just say one time, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He goes on to explain that. Because the disciples, again, it's a lot to wrestle with. Put yourself in their shoes. They're hearing, okay, you're not just going to show us the way to God. You are the way to God. That's different than the prophets in the Old Testament. That's different for us. And so you see them wrestling with it. It's really interesting in John chapter 14. And they're like, Okay, you're the truth and light. If we could just see the Father, though, and he's like, have you not been around me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, if we could just, yeah, but if we could just know God, he's like, do you not know me? If you know me, you know the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. The Father is in me. And so Jesus is creator God. He's the glory of God. He's God made flesh. Jesus claims to be God. Why is Jesus the only way to God? 
because Jesus is God. You see, every other religion, Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, any other religion you can think of, here's what the founder of that faith says. They said, I'm gonna show you who God is and help you to find him. Every religion does that. I'm going to write about these things. I'm going to testify to these things because I'm going to show you who God is and how you can make your way to him. Christianity is different than that. Christianity, the founder of our faith, says, I am God, and I'm coming to find you. And that's our story. That's your story. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, if you believe that Jesus is God, It's not because you followed a seven-step guideline. It's not because you read a moral to-do list and you started checking it off. Check, check. Now I'm arrival at God. It's not that way. That Jesus, the founder of our faith, it's different. He says, I am God, and I'm going to show you how I find you. And that's the whole Bible, is God finding people like you and me, revealing himself to us and us responding in worship to him. Now, many in our culture would say, I don't believe that. Like, I, I get, I mean, Jesus, great guy. I mean, he, he, he sacrificially loved people. I mean, we can see that. I mean, Jesus, he was good with children. You gotta love Jesus. Jesus is a great example. Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is my homeboy. I don't know if that shirt is still in circulation, but it's very popular to, to, I like Jesus. Like if Jesus were around today, we would be boys. That's very popular in our culture. What we're saying in that way is we're saying Jesus is a good person, Jesus is a good teacher. Here's the problem with that. Jesus leaves no space for that. Like in his declarations, he claims that he is God. So that leaves only a few options, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis says it this way, that, that Jesus is either, either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Right? He, he may be a, a liar, right? Uh, because he claimed to be God, maybe he was manipulating us into thinking that. Maybe he, he brainwashed the disciples and he just lied and he somehow pulled the whole thing off, right? And, and he's a liar. Or he's a lunatic. Uh, maybe he had great intentions and he, maybe he came to help people and all those types of things, but he was crazy, self-deceived. He thought he was God. That he's either a liar, he's lunatic, or he is who he says he is. He did what he said he would do, and he's Lord. There's no in-between. So that Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus is a good guy. If Jesus were around, we would be friends. That's not a logical response. The only response is to say, I worship Jesus as Lord. He is God in the flesh. He's not only the way to God, he's God in human form. I worship him that way or I abandon him and I follow something else. I follow myself. There is no space between. Jesus didn't make room for a space between. And one of the ways we know this is Jesus was almost stoned multiple times. If you read the Gospels, people are always trying to to get after Jesus, to kill Jesus, and they end up hanging him on a cross. You don't try to stone a good person, Well, Jesus was so good, we wanted to stone him. 
That doesn't make sense, right? But Jesus was such a good teacher. We wanted to hang him on a cross. I mean, isn't that what you do for all your good professors? Like, man, that was my favorite professor. I want to kill him. Logically, that doesn't even make sense. Why was Jesus almost stoned? Why was Jesus persecuted? Why does Jesus sweat blood, cry out on the cross? Because he claimed to be God. There's no room for good teacher. There's no room for good person. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And again, a pushback to that is going to be, well, Tim, that sounds really exclusive, really judgmental, really narrow-minded. I mean, you really think Jesus is the only way to God? And what I would say is, if we are here in this room, if we believe the Bible is true, if we say Jesus is God, it would be foolish to say otherwise, right? That would be narrow-minded. That would be foolish to, to, to see Jesus as creator God, the glory of God, God in the flesh, but you know what? I don't know if I'm going to give my life to him, right? In fact, that's, that's many of the problems with other people in our culture is they look at Christians and they say, how hypocritical. They believe Jesus is God with their words, but they don't live it with their lives, right? And so it's, it's not narrow-minded. It's judgmental. It's called belief. That if we just sort of said uh, casually, Jesus is, is God, but it's not really exclusive. You can believe whatever, whatever works for you. Yeah, it's, everything's good, always. That's opinion, not belief. I mean, if, I, if you ask me today, you're new to Phoenix, you say, how do I get on the 51? I say, well, you know, I like the 51. I mean, lots of ways to get on the 51. I mean, you can go fast on the 51 if you're driving the HOV lane between these hours. I mean, I can tell you all about the 51 and kind of give you my opinion about the 51, but you want to know how to get on the 51? It's very important that I tell you off the 10, you exit to the right, it loops around, you get on the 51, right? Because I believe that it's true. It's a belief. It's not an opinion. Okay? Now, now, again, the problem with that, that's so exclusive. That's so narrow, right? But if you think about it, all beliefs, all things we're saying, I believe that is true. It's not an opinion. It's a belief. All beliefs are somewhat exclusive, even the belief that says all faiths lead to God. That even an inclusive belief, bear with me here, is exclusive to some extent. How? Well, if someone says to me, Tim, I, I believe always lead to God, that, that I'm an inclusive person, that, that everybody ends up finding God, whatever works for them works. All beliefs, all religions. And I say, okay, great. Well, my religion, my faith says there's an exclusive way, a single way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. It's a person, not just a path. It is Jesus. He claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Can I be in your club? You're all inclusive club. Well, no, we don't have people like you in our club. That's exclusive, right? It's just their own version of exclusivity, that everybody who has a belief, not an opinion, but a belief, I believe this is true. Is exclusive. Okay? Other religions have that. Even if you say all of them are true, you are making an exclusive statement. You just like yours better than mine. And so Jesus is the only way to God because he is God, and the only natural response to that is to follow him and to worship him alone. The amazing thing is Jesus doesn't just say he's God, though. He shows us he's God. Our second point, write this down, that 
Jesus is the only way to God because of his perfect work. His perfect work. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. Lots of places we could go for this, but I like this verse because you see this. He made him who knew no sin, Jesus was perfect, to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. That's the gospel summed up in one verse. It's his perfect work, his perfect life. This puts everybody on the same playing field when it comes to getting to God, right? It says in scripture that the way to get to God is to be perfect. You shall be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. The requirement is perfection. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the perfection of God. The demand is perfection. That's what the the law, the commandments are about. That's what Jesus comes up and illustrates for us, that if you want to be with God, you should be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. The demand is perfection. And so what happens with Christianity is Jesus knows no sin. He lives the perfect life, the perfect work. He shows us that and does so on our behalf. We see that Pontius Pilate, when Jesus is about to be crucified, what does he do? How does he respond to Jesus? He ends up killing Jesus, But he says at one point, I see no fault in this man. Would you take someone else? Like even the person who ended up helping crucify Jesus acknowledged Jesus is perfect. Jesus has no faults. He knew no sin. And here's the good news of Christianity. And here's what is different than every other religion is he knew no sin, but he became sin for us. He lived a perfect life, but he also died a substitutionary death. He died in our place for our sin. How do we know what love is as Christians? First John, this is love. Not that you loved God, but that God first loved you. You see, most other religions will tell you this, that you, you do these steps to find God. You do these things so that God will accept you. God will love you. That Christianity is different than that. That Christianity says, God loves you and you respond to that. God first loved you. You don't have to do all these things. Jesus does these things on your behalf, in your place. Substitutionary atonement. He died the death that you deserved. That because of his perfect work, you are freed up to have a relationship with God, to not to climb the ladder of salvation, that God already comes to you. He descends. The word becomes flesh. Jesus is the only way to God because he is the perfect work of God on our behalf. But he doesn't just stay dead. He's not just the perfect life, the substitutionary death. He is the victorious resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this, that without the resurrection, we have nothing as Christians. Without the resurrection, this isn't a perfect work. The perfect work culminates as Jesus conquers sin, Satan, death, and the grave in the resurrection. And as you read 1 Corinthians 15, you see something really interesting. You see that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. That that other people go on to testify that Jesus rose from the dead. We say this at Easter, that James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a book in our Bible, in the New Testament. That James went from somebody who didn't believe Jesus was God to writing a book about how Jesus was God. And he was his brother. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you have to do to convince your brother 
to say you were God. Be rough, right? You'd probably have to rise from the dead. You'd probably have to beat death and say, bro, look at these nail-scarred hands. I beat it. I am God. And your brother in that moment would be like, I really don't want to say this, but you are. You must be. That's what happened with James. Not only did he declare that personally, he did it publicly. He wrote a book about his brother being God. Just wrap your mind around that. Jesus is the perfect work in that he lived the perfect life. He died the substitutionary death in our place, and he rose again victoriously. Amen? That is why we believe Jesus is the only way to God. He didn't just say it. He showed it. Again, all the other ways to God, nobody else rose from the the grave. We can go to their tomb. We can go to their grave. We can go to their site. We can honor them that way. Jesus can't go to his grave. He's not there. He is risen. He's risen indeed. That's what we celebrate at Easter. Jesus is the only way to God because of his perfect work. And this isn't just you or me that believes this. There are people across the globe that believe this. In fact, on Easter, uh, churches are full across the globe with people who still believe this. The Bible is still the best-selling book of all time. People like Lee Strobel, a Chicago Tribune journalist set out to prove that Jesus wasn't God, ended up discovering all the evidence spiritually, rationally, logically, historically points to Jesus as God. And again, he didn't just believe that personally, he declared that publicly. He wrote a book, The Case for Christ. Other people who have had doubts about Jesus being God have read that book and given their life to Jesus. A guy named C.S. Lewis an Oxford professor, went on a journey to see, is Jesus really God? A smart guy, an intelligent God, a brilliant guy. And he ends up confirming Jesus is God, and he doesn't just believe it privately, he declares it publicly. Do you see a trend here? He writes a book called Mere Christianity. I would recommend it to you. And he talks about some of these things, why bad things happen. He wrestles through these questions from a place, listen, not just of blind faith, from a place of logic and thought. Why? Because Jesus is the only way to God because he is God, because he's the perfect work of God. But Jesus isn't just the right way to God. He's not just the right God to believe in. He is the better way. That's our third point. Jesus is the better way. John 10.10 says this, I have come, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life to the full. Other translations will say that you might have abundant life. Jesus isn't just the right way, like, okay, Jesus, I guess you're God. I guess I'll follow you, and I'll just be depressed. Okay, Jesus, I mean, I guess you're right, and your ways are right, and maybe I can get to be in heaven with you forever, but I'm going to have to go to church all the time and do a lot of good things for people, and oh, that's not the way it is. Jesus isn't just the right way. He is the better way. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about, Matthew 5 through 7. If you were here uh, several months ago, we did a series through the Sermon on the Mount, and what we looked at as Christians and what other people looked at as as non-Christians we all say the same thing. If everyone were to follow Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we would have a better world. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? 
Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. And we had some people who weren't even Christians, but if they, if they were humble and they mourned with people who were hurting, how much better would our world be? How much better would our politics be? Amen? If people were just humble and they mourned with others, that's the first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not just the right way, he is the better way. If we go on to read and, th and read things like, hey, you should be faithful to your, your spouse. And in fact, be faithful not just in your actions, but in your thought. If, you, if you've ever thought about another woman lustfully, you have committed adultery in your heart. Now, how many ladies here would say amen to that? Christian or not? Do you know a lady who's not a Christian who would just say, man, I, I hope my husband finds some other partners? I just hope he thinks about other women. I mean, that, that just really edifies me, gives me life. Who would say that? No one. Every woman, every man wants a committed spouse who only thinks about him, dreams about him, serves him, does nice things for him. That's the kind of life everybody in our world would want. Who prescribes that kind of Jesus. Jesus talks about anxiety. Jesus talks about money. And if you just read the whole Matthew 5, 6, and 7, anybody would say, hey, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good way to live. That's a better way to live. That's a way of, of life that would fill me. It's a hard way, to li a way of life. It's not easy to get there. But if I were able to live that way, man, I think I would be fulfilled. I think my relationships would be fulfilled. I would have less anxiety. I would have less less conflict in my relationships. I would have less turmoil in my heart. I wouldn't have as much anxiety. I would be full. Jesus isn't just the right way. He is the better way. And we see this expressed. We see it expressed in the New Testament um, that in the ancient world, and Scripture shows us this. It doesn't hide this. If we read history, it shows us this as well, but Scripture does too. In the ancient world, in Bible times, this was a culture known by division that it was segregated between rich and poor, between men and women, and most often what we see is between Jew and Gentile. Right? We see that over and over. You, you've read the Bible, you see circumcised, uncircumcised. Right? We see Jew and Gentile. And it's a segregated culture. It's a culture that is divided. Jesus shows up on the scene, lives a perfect life, dies a death in our place, rises again victoriously, and things change. Barriers are broken. We see that in places like a dinner with a tax collector and regular people. Two groups of people that not only didn't hang out and associate with one another, but that hated one another. Right? People, working people, wanted to get as far away from the tax collector as possible. Jesus says, no, I'm going to go find a tax collector, and we're going to all sit down and have dinner together. Dinner, something we do as a family. Jesus brings two different people together and makes them family. Acts 1 and 2, the outworking of the resurrection of Christ, the outworking of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. You know what one of the first things happens? People speak in tongues. Tongues, different languages. That there's a mass of people around all together who speak different languages, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, makes a way where everyone can understand each other. 
Acts chapter 10, even when some people are hanging on to this division, Peter, one of the, the disciples, he ends up working through Peter to bring someone else, a Roman official, to Christ and then see his whole family change and see that person walk into his house and see familiar relationships with people who were once divided. The way of Jesus is better. It brings people together. It's why we see in scripture that every tongue, every tribe, every nation will worship at the feet of Jesus. It's what causes us to remove racial barriers, to remove personality barriers that would cause us to say, I don't know if I want to be around that person. And scripture makes it clear, if you believe in Jesus, that he's the only way, if you have been saved by him, you will be around that person for eternity. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, just in case you got confused. He gives you all three. Now, you might say, well, Tim, that's great, but I'm looking around. There's still some division. You gave some really good examples, <laughs> but there's some, there's some division, right? I mean, there is some of those racial lines still. There is a, a gap between the rich and the poor. I see the homeless guy on the street, he's not eating dinner in a mansion in Scottsdale. Seems like Jesus is the better way, like maybe for some people, but, but what about these ways where we still see that vision? And I would say this is, that's why you are here. That's why the church exists. Is that as we show people Jesus, that he is the unrivaled worth of God, that he is the true son of God, that he is the one, the only one who lived the perfect life that you could never live, who died a death in your place, who rose again in victory, that, that, that the only thing he gets out of that is you. And we get to share that message and proclaim that message and practice that message to an onlooking world so that we could say to the rich and the poor, hey, you guys need to merge together, how? around your personality, around your bank account? No, around Jesus Christ. And we get to say, hey, come in. Come in these doors. Come in my house. Why is there still division? Because Jesus is still working his better way through you. Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the light. But there is still darkness, but he is inviting us to not just believe in him, but be a part of what he is doing in the world to see every tribe, tongue, nation worship him. You and I get to be a part of that. So you see somebody, some gap relationally, racially, financially, you step in to fill that. You continue the better way of Jesus because you believe that he is the only way. Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the unrivaled worth of God. Jesus is the perfect work of God. So how do we respond to that? The first thing is this. If you're taking notes, write these things down. There's a place for that, by the way, in your notes, living what we learn. Write these three things down. How do we respond? If Jesus is the only way, what does that look like? The first thing is this. We respect but not accept other faiths. We respect but not accept other faiths. You see, sometimes as we think about exclusivity, we think we believe only one way. Our faith is exclusive. And that's true. 
And I just spent the last however many minutes proclaiming that to you. I, I believe that. Our faith, our belief is exclusive, but our love is not. Our love is not. Our love is inclusive. Right, Jesus makes it clear, who do we love? Our neighbor. Anybody who's close to us, different or not, we love them. Our belief is exclusive as Christians. It absolutely is. But our love is inclusive. We love everyone. We respect other faiths, even, we don't, even though we don't accept them as true. And this is mind-blowing for our culture, right? Because we live in a culture of tolerance. We live in a culture of everyone has to agree to get along. And again, here's where Christians live out the better way of Jesus, is we speak truth, but we do it in love. We proclaim truth, we don't budge on it, we uphold it, but we do so with grace. We cover the hard truths of Scripture, but we cover them in grace. We live the better way of Jesus. Mind blown in our culture. Really? So you're not the, the church, the, the Bible-believing Christians who pound the Bible and, and ridicule everyone, that they're all going to hell and that they're terrible people and they... Their religion is so worthless. Like, you're not those people. No, we believe in hell, and we don't want people to go there, so we're going to love them really well, and we're going to proclaim Jesus is the only way to them because he can save them from hell. Oh, okay. So you're not, like, all accepting, all affirming people. No, no, no. We, we accept people, but we don't affirm their lifestyle. So you're not this, and you're not that. I don't know what to do with you. Right? You don't fit in a box. Well, guess what? Jesus never fit in a box either. People try to put him in there, but he won't fit. Truth and grace. Love and truth. Jesus lives that way. We live that way. So do you respect other faiths? Do you dialogue with Muslims, Mormons, Hindus, atheists? Yeah. How do you do that? With truth and with love. Uh, some good friends of ours. I was doing uh, this with them. They believe one specific thing that I don't believe. And we were talking about that. And uh, for a while, we were just talking about normal things in life. But at one point, the conversation switched, and it usually switches this way with me because of my profession. Uh, she said, well, you're a pastor. <laughs> so how do you do this? What do you think about this? And so we get to talk. And I, and I talked about, we're accepting. We're talking about homosexuality. And I said, if you don't know, we're accepting. We, we love people who live that lifestyle. We don't affirm it because we believe the Bible, and we believe the Bible doesn't affirm that. She had family members. It wasn't hypothetical. She had family members that were homosexual. I said, it was a hard moment. But I said in that moment, man, if, you, if your sibling walked in, man, we would love him to death. We don't affirm what he believes, but we would love him. If you're, if you're an alcoholic, man, we love you. We don't affirm that. We don't think that's God's best because we believe the Bible. We stand on that truth, but we do it in love. We're accepting but not affirming. And listen, again, she didn't know what to do with that. Her only interactions had been with Christians who were judgmental, who were rude, who wouldn't even dialogue. But in that moment, things began to shift, and we never agreed. But by the end of the night, she said, hey, what if we wrote a blog together? Okay, like about this, how we're having a conversation and we're not throwing punches. We still love one another even though we disagree with one another. Like blogs form. 
because of stuff like that. Lives are changed because of stuff like that. We respect all faiths, even if we don't accept all faiths. The second way we respond if we believe Jesus is the only way is we worship Jesus as God. Jesus calls, up to, calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. We see examples of Jesus saying, hey, don't look back. Don't go bury your dead. You give everything to me. Why does he say that? How can he say that? Well, Jesus is God. Jesus lived the perfect life on our behalf. He died in our place. He rose again. And if he really did that, if you believe that, you worship him that way. We just talked about it for six weeks. You worship him financially. You worship him with your wallet. You worship him with your words, your deeds. You worship him with your heart and your mind. You worship Jesus as God if he is God. The third thing is we give witness to others. We give witness to others. When you walked in, you got this uh, bookmark. It looks like this. Can you guys hold it up and let me know that you got it? You guys got this? Fall uh, Just a simple way. We say on there that to think of five names of those around you, you who you can help lead to Jesus. Now, as I say that, and as maybe as you looked at that when you walked in, like help lead them to Jesus, like that's, I don't know if I can do that. Well, here's what I'm asking you to do is the names that you write on here, that you would just pray for these people. Help lead them to Jesus by just praying that God would move in their life, that God would reveal himself to them and he would find them. That maybe there's a family member, maybe there's a friend that you can write down their name and, and just start praying for them. That's what I mean by that. And specifically, you would take four weeks and say, I'm going to pray for them once a week, once a day. It's a bookmark. I'm going to put it in my Bible. And every time I think about God, I'm going to think about those people and how I want them to know Jesus. That, that if this building were on fire right now and there was one exit door and it was open and everybody was going to die, that we would say, hey, go. Come on. You can make it. Go this way. This is the way you're going to find life. That we would do that urgently. That we would do that powerfully, that we would do that with word, we would do that with action, we would go get some people and say, come through the door with me, that you would live your life if you believe Jesus is the only way to God like that. At least in your prayer life. If you think, well, Tim, I don't know if I can go talk to the other person horizontally, talk about them vertically and start praying for them by name. And do that for four weeks, once a, once a week, once a day. And September 9th, we're starting a new series called Disconnected. We're going to talk about how relational life is hard, but it's possible through God and through the church. We're going to talk about the digital age. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're talking about conflict, something everybody experiences. And I want you to think about and pray about for four weeks who you can invite to that service. We're going to do something fun after the service that can come to as well and just see what God does if you were to do that. That if we believe Jesus is the only way, if we believe Jesus is God, it doesn't just affect our worship vertically to him. It affects our witness horizontally to others. Just like if there was one exit door, we would say, hey, come find this way. I'm going to pray for you to find this way. I'm going to come get you to find this way because it leads to abundant life. And so how do we respond? We respect other faiths, we, even if we don't accept them. We worship God fully with everything that we have because he deserves it. And then we witness to other people in our lives because we love them enough that we want them to experience the same life that we have, the same joy, the same hope, the same salvation that we have. Would you do that? 
Would you begin to respond that way? I know we've talked about a lot today, and some of the things we've talked about, you're thinking, man, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know, I don't know how I would have that conversation. Would you just begin to pray for these names on your list? Would you begin to respond to Jesus as God yourself? Maybe some of you need to deal with that yourself. Maybe if you're honest today, you would say, Tim, I like going to church. You're nice. Some people are cool here. But I don't know if I'm in all this exclusivity of Jesus. I would just say, you need to respond to that first today by giving your life to Jesus, by believing in his life, death, and resurrection, and by following him. If you have questions about that, again, the bulletin that you received, that connect card, there's a box to check that says, hey, I want to know more about Jesus. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I can talk to God. I don't know if I can tell him that. I still have questions. Check that box. I'll follow up with you. One of our leaders will. We'll pray for you, and we'll go down that road with you so that you can end up worshiping Jesus as God and witnessing before others. One of the ways we're going to reflect this truth today is we're going to take communion. We're going to come down uh, the aisle. We'd ask that you come down the center aisle and sort of go back around. And we're going to take some uh, bread, some cracker, and dip it in juice or wine. As we do this, we are reflecting, we're celebrating that Jesus is who he said he was, that he's God. And because of that, we have hope. We're celebrating that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us to pay for all of our sins, past, present, and future. That he reveals God to us and he comes and finds us and we take the communion. We're celebrating that. We're reflecting on that. We're worshiping God in light of that truth. So would you join me as we sing, as we take communion, do that as you feel led, and let's celebrate Jesus as God. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have revealed yourself you haven't hidden yourself, that you show us that Jesus is creator God, that he's the glory of God, that he's God in the flesh, that you didn't wait for us to find you. You came to find us through your person, through your work, through your character, through your nature, and now through the church. God, I pray that the men and women in this room, as we still wrestle with doubt, many of them still wrestle with doubt, that they would know they're in the right place. Otherwise, no uh, person would be in this room. If no one struggled with doubt, we wouldn't be in church today. But God, there's some people here who say, I believe, but here's where I struggle. God, I pray that you would be gracious to them in this moment, that they would find somebody else, find a community group to say, hey, this is the way we get encouraged in our doubt. This is the way our doubt gets refined. This is where we find truth is with other people. You have provided other people for that very purpose. That's why we're here. So God, I pray, if we are still in doubt, that we would grab someone before we leave. And God, I pray that we as a church would proclaim you in truth and in love, in truth and in grace, and that friends, family members, the world would be mind blown, that we don't fall into one of these boxes we fall into the Jesus way of life, and we would point people to him, and you would use us in a mighty way so that every tongue, every tribe, every nation would worship you, that we might get to experience that and see that. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.